0: Welcome to the strategy and leadership podcast brought to you by SME strategy. Our goal on the strategy and leadership podcast is to bring you practical and actionable tools that you can implement with your teams right away. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'll be your host. Each episode, I'll interview a senior leader or a thought leader that will help you elevate your ability to lead people and drive your organization's strategy forward. Our partner is Cascade Strategy. They're our favorite tool for tracking and executing strategic plans, providing visibility for your entire team, and helping everybody have insight into where you're going and what you need to do to get there. If you're looking to improve your strategy execution, visit smestrategy.net slash cascade for a link for a free 90-day trial so you can see for yourself if you enjoy it and helps your team move forward. So with that, I want to thank you again for joining us and we'll get into today's guest. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, folks and people. Very excited to have you joining us today. My name is Anthony Taylor. I'm the host of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast presented by SME Strategy. We facilitate strategic planning sessions and help teams get aligned and clear of where they want to go. And today I am joined by Peter Scott, who is a futurist, a former IT specialist at NASA, and the author of, oh, where'd I put your book? Here we go. Crisis of Control. There we go. I had to put it on there. How Artificial Superintelligence May Destroy or Save the Human Race. Peter, how are you today?
1: I am doing great, thanks. How are you doing? I'm excited. I'm so stoked
0: to chat with you both because... It's a very, very cool name of like your background. The book is so fun, but terrifying at the same time, but also in a heartwarming kind of way. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background and and we'll get into some questions for today.
1: Sure. And I get that a lot about the heartwarming and terrifying at the same time. It's my mission to present this to audiences so that they instead of either feeling paralyzed or terrified that we land somewhere in the middle of action. And that's why I like talking with this audience, because you've got leaders and people that do that naturally. They're used to being in the, 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 the driver's seat for that. So they, they know that. I grew up in England. I'm a zero generation immigrant in two other countries because I went to California to work for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory after I got a degree in computer science at Cambridge. And then some 20 years ago, moved up to Vancouver Island because lifestyle and it was possible right at that moment to get high-speed internet to the home and have done that ever since and continue to contract for NASA in IT. But also for the last decade, I've been taking coaching skills that I earned and got uh, credited in and merging those with my technology background to take a message about artificial intelligence to people because it is so misunderstood and is such a big field. I will never run out of things to talk about or people to talk to.
0: That's awesome. And you have a podcast as well, Artificial Intelligence and You podcast.
1: That's right. And it's at AI and you.net or you can look for artificial intelligence and you on the usual places, iTunes, Spotify, Google and so forth.
0: So what is the one thing you want our audience to think about or to consider as it relates to artificial intelligence and then their like practical life and careers?
1: Sure. It's going to impact everything. It's already doing that. The future is arriving slowly and and piecemeal, but faster than ever before, because that's what exponential change does. Unfortunately, human brains don't get bigger. And so there comes a point where the technology advances faster than we can adapt. We are likely to see that within the next decade or so. And so The important thing is to be prepared for the unknown. I know it sounds like that's impossible, but heck, that's the scout motto, right? Be prepared for what? Well, we can get into that as we go along. Mm. Well, I found it was interesting just in the book and and speaking
0: on exponential change and the the metaphor that you use is like the the drop in the bucket or the, you know, the compounding effect of, you know, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, et cetera. And speaking of okay, we've seen all of this change, you know autonomous cars, coding, there's an AI software that does you know it can rewrite your copy for you. But if we're thinking of that exponential change in terms of what's happened over the past five years, you know, looking into the next five or ten years, that's really starting to get like the the hyper growth of of this transformation
1: exactly. We're in an era now, and I must say i'm I'm glad. Because I spent the 90s and uh, first decade that I guess we call the noughties going, where is the technology boom that uh, we've been promised? Well, in the last five to 10 years, it has arrived. And look at what's going on in private space and the intersection of these technologies. I'd say the thing for your uh, listeners and your viewers to pay the most attention to is where will the intersection of two exponentially or more exponentially advancing technologies converge to make something possible through the combination and synergy of those two things. For instance, when you have cheap access to space and low Earth orbit plus fast internet and cheap wireless electronics, you get something like Starlink putting up thousands of satellites to network the entire globe at once. If you want to play the prediction game, that's the place where you can get the most leverage. Mm.
0: Well, I think it's interesting. Well, I think intersections will be a theme throughout today's episode, because obviously the context of this podcast is primarily work, but then also like this has broad strokes implication across all areas of life. As human beings beyond leaders and and managers, but of course there's an intersection of how work and life move forward in terms of, you know, if you're in career, you know, how is your career going to be changed in the next couple of years? And the example from the book is, you know, coders no longer exist because AI can and these copycats can fundamentally do it much faster and better. So what are your thoughts on how that will impact the workforce AI and its sort of widespread adoption?
1: Right. In the book, the copycat was from the fiction section, which was a possible future. It's becoming less likely that we will have automatic software generation by 2027 but uh, on the other hand there are things being done right now with tools like gpt3 able to generate certain kinds of software you can tell it i want the code for a graphical interface that has got the google logo and a text box labeled this and uh, these kind of widgets on it and it will create the code for it just from that description alone so to be ready for that kind of of change and And what could be automated here I, I think is is really a matter of parsing the hype out from the reality because certainly we 're getting incredible amount of hype about artificial intelligence and Gartner, uh, the consulting firm, has this thing called a hype cycle, which' a curve that goes up and then down into a trough, and that first peak is what they call inflated expectations, where some technology has been hyped so much that eventually becomes we realize that it's not going to sustain that. And we're seeing that t- to an extent now with the automatic uh, autonomous vehicles. They can't do everything that was being predicted they would do by now a couple of years ago. But if you just take that at face value and go, okay, well, I forget that, you will miss what they are going to be doing, which is, for instance, revolutionizing long-haul trucking. Mm-hmm. Short-haul tracking will still exist. Long-haul tracking is going to look different. I think the short answer is there are no short answers in this. That's what I find.
0: Got it. So we've looked forward. I'm going to keep asking you questions about forward, but I also want to sort of look backward. You know, as somebody who's worked in a, we'll call it a dynamic environment for the past, you know, 20 years, both as a contractor and and, and other what were some lessons, either that you learned or that you gleaned from your peers, in working in a place that, I mean, I guess, continuously needs to be on the forefront of change, on the forefront of technology? And what sort of aha's did you get from that that might be helpful to our to our audience?
1: Exactly, and NASA and Jet Propulsion Lab who's landed. Many vehicles now on Mars, including the helicopter that uh, flew recently, Ingenuity, has to be on the leading edge. By definition, in their charter, they're not allowed to do things that private industry can do, or to do the same thing over again. Once they have done one thing, then it's supposed to be packaged up to allow private industry to take it over. The thing that I, I learned the most that's applicable to to our conversation was realizing how often technologists like myself would expend enormous effort to eke out a few percentage points of productivity gains in a piece of software or a system. How can we make it that much more efficient? Because that was typically what you might get out of throwing better hardware or algorithms at it. And yet if you didn't have the right communication or organization between team members if you had a missing team member and didn't know that you needed that role if you had bad communications with upper levels or partners that would have effects out of all proportion to what you were trying to do and we're putting on all your powerpoint slides about hey we we got another 2% this week and and that is something that's not as accessible to engineers and scientists and technologists, because it's much harder to measure. It's not a hard science. so. But it nevertheless, is, it has this, this huge impact. Now, obviously, JPL is tremendously successful in what they uh, are doing, and they've mastered that aspect of it to uh, a, a degree that produces those results. But I would invite listeners to think about where are you focusing on what you can measure? My analogy for this is the drunkard who's searching for his keys under the lamppost. And then the cop says, oh, you lost your keys. Oh, whereabouts were you when you lost them? He points over there and says, over there. And the cop says, why are you doing that here? Drunkard said, because this is where the light is. And I think that we do this with The technology because we can measure it that's where our light is when the fact is we lost our keys over where the people were Mm, mm
0: -hmm. i get that so like just that again we're putting all of this energy into something that's potentially new exciting measurable among other qualities whereas we can sabotage it by not having the system structure processes people to you know actually accomplish what's really needed and so i guess it breaks it down to both focusing on the wrong things but then also getting distracted by maybe some shiny objects <laughs>
1: for lack of a better word right and that's what propelled me into coaching
0: got it so that was actually going to be my next question was we, since we're talking about intersection how did you intersect your work as an engineer into coaching and you know what were some of the the learnings that you've had in in, in that stage of your career
1: Right. I I seem to be uh, drawn like a moth to a flame to things that I'm not good at to try and get better at them. Maybe it's ego. But I, uh, as an engineer, a scientist, a software developer, probably not unique in having Asperger's syndrome, except I didn't know that until relatively recently, because when I was a kid, no, no one knew that term. They just said weird right? And I thought there was something wrong with me. And so about as far away as you can get from that would be coaching and then it evolved into public speaking. And and I went through a, a, a lot of personal development work in groups and, and one-on-one that enabled me to see those factors. Now, I'm still uh, on that side of the spectrum where we have Famous uh, psychologist, Mark Goulston, uh, on our team for one event had me pegged within seconds. Everyone else was like, what? And he's, no, he's on the spectrum. (laughs) But now we've come to a detente, okay, me and and, and the Asperger's. Uh, It it lets me do what I want, and uh, I don't make it wrong.
0: Perfect. And then so what is some what are some of the, the things that you really coach on when you're working with teams and supporting them? Is it mainly on the on the AI integration or is it on the people side or is it managing this whole world of change or something totally different?
1: Right. Well, the AI integration is probably the easier part of it. I think the. Way that the teams are organized and structured roles and responsibilities and the accountability and the lines of communication up to the higher levels, for instance, you need to have that support from the people above you. Too many places, some team is trying to make headway in spite of their management, not because of it. (laughs) they're they're not going to get the nearly the results that they would if everyone was aligned. And that's a people function, not a technology one.
0: I was talking to somebody the other day who was saying, you know, they wanted to fix an issue, a process issue, but it was actually a communication issue and the distinction between the process issue and a communication as an engineer, how do you approach Problem solving within an organization, you sort of alluded to it before, but how do you approach that, that, that people side of problems and being able to actionably be able to support moving it forward? What is your approach? What is your methodology? What is your thought process?
1: Right. Well, I've still got that engineer in me for doing that. And I think it's a, a helpful thing for coaches in, in business because there's an engineer mindset that, naturally leads to troubleshooting like where's the process where's the problem how do we fix it what are the moving parts of this system that's just how engineers are trained to think and to understand the domain in which this is taking place. So actually software developers have got a very challenging role in that they don't have to l- know just the languages and the tools and the systems of software development, but anytime they go create something for someone in in some vertical sector, they have to understand that business at a technical level of of great expertise. So the the engineering a- a approach to this is to Look for certain elements: governance, roles and responsibilities, and communication processes, documentation. Does does someone who's coming in new can you point them at documentation? Does it lead them in the right places? And that's that's part of it. We, you opened up a, a big topic there. Yeah,
0: I tend to do that. I don't, I try to, you know, I got all the softball questions out of the way. So by the way, if you have any questions for Peter, please put them in the chat, either on YouTube. If you're joining us on YouTube live or if you are in the webinar, uh, please put them in there. But you know, what I'm really hearing out of everything that you've shared so far, Peter, is, is really looking at that systems approach that in order to be able to accomplish something of, of significance, whether that is AI, and in that AI integration, which I do want to go back to, or you know, moving your team towards a higher level of performance, it is really being aware of all of the individual components, and like making sure you're focused on the right things at the right time, with or without an engineer's mindset to to focus on the on the problem. Did I capture sort of the essence of of how you look at things so far?
1: Absolutely, I'm very big on systems thinking, and and when I as part of the coach training got certified in neuro linguistic programming then that was perfect it's not actually programming in the engineering sense but it's the system for understanding people's belief and behavioral systems that i found very uh, accessible and one of the fundamental tenets of it is that there's not an objective communication and we are exchanging words but if i detect that they're not landing right i'm going to modify them because the as we say in nlp the meaning of a communication is the response that it evokes and that's a loop right and a loop is another word for system i didn't
0: know that and that's fascinating because i think that that's cool because i always just i i sort i want to say do it intuitively i talk i share i listen and I react to both what is said and what is not said, but I never actually thought of it as a system. I just thought of it of just like how I do things and how I talk to people. So I do have a question and I'm sort of another going back to question is, you know, as it relates to developing that system and and working with people and being able to manage sort of the changing mindset. Do you have any examples from, you know, your your time at NASA where something might not have gone as well as was expected and maybe some challenges that you faced without giving away any secret sauce, but to say like, hey, like this has happened. This was a struggling part. Here's what we did to to overcome it and to, to move past it.
1: Well, if I go to things that happened in NASA that I'm familiar with that I wasn't involved with, that's more or less safe territory, right? And we can look at some of the failures, which are fortunately uh, relatively far in the past. Now, you had the two shuttle accidents and the Apollo 1 fire, and you had the, the Hubble Space Telescope and a, a couple of Mars missions that failed. And these were all due to communication problems, right? The, the The space shuttle accidents, different causes, same root cause, that managers weren't listening to engineers on questions of safety. Same thing was true of the Apollo One fire, which 1967. People weren't listening when the uh, contractor said you need to not have 100% oxygen uh, in in the capsule. And and then the Hubble Space Telescope was built with a, a mirror that was the wrong shape. Um, and the tests that would have done that were simple, but everyone assumed that there. The things that could be wrong with it were much more esoteric and so why bother doing the simple test again that boils down to communication because there had to be someone in there who was saying have we test like the basic thing that's a sort of fundamental principle mm. and
0: i mean i say with the, this utmost respect to to everybody and, and you know there's a lot of people who lost their lives in, in some of those accidents right is is you know, how did that happen like what you know, not to second guess, but you know, like what at the root cause of yes, it's a communication issue, but how did the communication issue happen?
1: You can read the accident reports of uh, those incidents, and I have, and they're really interesting reading. But you have uh, what comes down to a, a clash of values that you had some people who were prioritizing launching over safety. They wouldn't have put it in those terms, but they, the language, like my Godfire called, When Do You Expect Me to Launch April from the the Challenger revealed that. And, and so it's important to make values explicit in in a conversation where there's that kind of of conflict and, and boil it down to that. I think now is, would that have, 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 helped in that case? You had people who walked out and, uh, and, and through threats and it, it, it didn't help. No. It's, so I, I, I'm not saying that one little thing would have made a difference there, but that principle is what you can focus on when you find yourself in a situation that feels the same. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, I think it's, I mean, it really does. And again, thank you for your generosity in, in sharing there is, it's a communication issue, but at the heart of the communication is another systems issue. And it's a system of of values and behaviors and what we're prioritizing. And I think, you know, for the for our listeners is to say, hey, what are your values? How do they align with those of your team? Are they in sync? Are they aligned? And if they're not, and you're still facing communication issues, like that could be the cause of it. So now looking forward, we have values clashing and we have communication issues, How do you see that intersecting with the future of artificial intelligence? And how can we either destroy or save the human race based (laughs) on different values?
1: Well, those are those. Questions are on different ends of a timescale. So the the destroyer and the human race we might or save the human race we might leave to uh, a little bit later because that's further out in the future, one hopes. The near term, though, is going to be rife with narrow artificial intelligence that uh, carries much less risk of um, existential threat that will change the social landscape of work. In particular, I hear a lot now about the future of work and automation. And so these will intersect, well, at a lot of places up and down the, the hierarchy and, and need to be addressed at international and national levels. But, and, and assuming we don't have that conversation in this podcast, if we look at the enterprise level, the, the, the corporate level, I, I'd say the, the, the first thing is to understand. What your real purpose is in this business? What is the purpose that you would do no matter who else was doing it as well? And, and the classic example of not listening to that is Kodak, right? They actually invented the digital camera, but they weren't clear about who they were. There were too many people who said our identity is wrapped up in long, thin pieces of plastic. That's who we are. Well, we know what happened to that. Now, Kodak is still around, but nothing like the player that they used to be or could have been if they'd embraced that that new technology. So examine. And these are almost always unconscious. You have to ferret out what's the real culture here? Who do we really think we are? Forget the mission statement that's hanging on the side of the conference room wall gathering dust. That was Probably wordsmith by a committee. But look at what the real culture is. Who do people really believe they are at your business? Hmm.
0: So I, I it's it's interesting. So that is like the core fundamental non-shiny object, being able to to look at that and saying, hey, we need to shine the light in the right place. That's probably one of the right places. Kat from the chat asked, Will AI help to reduce those types of potential future communication issues. So I sort of see that as a, as a two part. There's the communication issues we talked about with those, you know, the sort of past challenges and mistakes and then how to adopt AI to minimize those challenges. So maybe I'll let you ask the question, will AI mm. help reduce those types of potential future communication issues? And then we can go from there.
1: Oh, it's a good question. Uh, and not in the near term, it will reduce communication problems between machines. They will be able to understand each other where you might have had to have meetings between different companies, departments, so forth, to exchange their data. AI will be able to figure out how to match those data types and transfer them. But that's not the question. The question was about human communication. And there is some signs that there's work being done, and in fact, someone I just interviewed on in my podcast analyzes the text of what politicians say, and it doesn't get much more nebulous than that, to derive uh, an analysis from it using AI. So, if if I were to speculate, I'd, I'd say the potential is there, but there's a lot more potential for the upheaval of AI picking away at wounds within a company that people weren't aware of. So many people are in fear of their job. And when you're confronted with the unknown, like, I don't know whether this thing is going to make my job easier or take it away from me, then fear steps in. And then it's not rational. Handling irrational communication is your job right now as a human.
0: Because you can't, I mean, you can't program it, but also the AI is only as good as the programming. So if you program the right, the wrong stuff in it, it's just going to solve for the wrong problem. Right. So how can, you know, C-suite functions leverage AI now and in the future? One of them was like transcription. You know, what are some of the other things that you see being able to be either now or in the near future that senior leaders can adopt AI to, to help them with?
1: Right. I think this is a fascinating question because if you look at the function as of a, a, a C-suite, uh, a lot of it is in what we call business intelligence It uh, has been called business intelligence for a long time. And so you have got reports coming from marketing and then you've got the chief financial officer telling you what you can afford. And uh, then you've got HR talking about trends in the workforce and, and and these things that need to be integrated now at that level of diversity you have to have a c suite to, to handle it except that now ai is approaching the point where it can do that because that is knowledge work and knowledge work is where ai can make the most bang for the buck it's much harder to get a, a robot to give a, a foot massage right now than it is to create something that can figure out insights from a company's financial data better than the CFO. Mm. And and then when you look at, I'm speculating here again, but if you look at the possibility of that communication between those different functions being automated, because we were just talking about communication and happening at the speed of light, instead of waiting for the board meeting or the, the, the director's meeting, well, well, the company that can figure that out will erase the count, the competition. the The thing that's holding that back mostly at the moment, I would say, is that CEOs, by and large, uh, have a lot more say about how much of their job gets automated. Interesting.
0: I mean, it makes sense because there—that there goes back to that—that that fear part is that yeah, you have the opportunity to do all that, but at what cost? So you know, the, the communication, the change management, the understanding, the buy-in, and then the the whole why mission behind it. You know, is the mission to be able to have the biggest impact? If it is, hmm. then we'd adopt everything that we could. Is the mission that I keep getting a, a paycheck and keep looking good? Well, that's you know, those two might be
1: opposed. Right, and and there's a there's a while before any c-suite member would start fearing for their job here what they should look at instead is can we use ai to accelerate what we're doing already with those business decisions based on complex data
0: Mm. yeah i really hear the theme of like leveraging ai versus you know adapting ai as like a panacea to fix all your problems it's hey you know there's opportunities to be technology enabled to help us move forward by leveraging this artificial sure. intelligence to help us, but move. it will cost. <laughs> it will cost. Yeah, go ahead. It will, it's expensive. Yes. So, as we as we start to wrap up here, what are some of the sort of key considerations you want to leave our listeners with as they as they read your book, as they start delving into more about the future, and as they think about changes that are happening to them and
1: around them? We we've touched on the. Th- what I call the three p's here of, of of this, the three insights would be your people, your purpose, and preparedness. and we've we've talked about those, but let me say what preparedness means. I would put less faith in prediction and planning going forward than it has yielded for you in the past i mean if you only got to think back a year ago to what did we think was going to be the big problems coming up right oh we need toilet paper that's going to go from the shelves we we need lysol uh we're going to be sure that too the grocery store shelves are going to be bare look around are we out of toilet paper are the grocery store shelves bare no we have a different set of problems as predictors we suck And we're going to get worse at that because of how fast things are changing. So focus instead on, they're all Ps, right? Preparedness. And the scout's motto is be prepared. It is not prepare such and such. It is be prepared as in you're preparing yourself for the unknown. You can gain skills in planning and prediction as part of that, what does it mean to be prepared for a future that you can't predict mm. and and so many people if someone says well you can't do that they'd say well go back to the scouts they do that all the time that's that's what that motto is about so think about what difference that makes to your viewpoint of where you're taking your business
0: mm and And what really want to bring it 's not a p, but bringing that that communication component of it is that you know you could be prepared yourself as an individual, but if your team isn't prepared, you know you you might be setting yourself up for more challenges down the road, so really making sure that you get everybody. I'm really trying to use a P word, but it's not working um,
1: get, there you
0: go to get everybody engaged in that. So if any other questions in the chat, please, please drop them in. We have put a link to Peter's book, Crisis of Control, in the chat as well, as well as his LinkedIn profile. But um, Peter, where can uh, people get a hold of you? Where can they listen to more of what you're working on and how can people follow your work?
1: Thank you. And um, Anthony, I'm focused at the moment on creating a new book. But in the meantime, I have a podcast and we're just coming up on one year of being going. And, um, you know, what a milestone that is to have it crank out a weekly show. And it's called Artificial Intelligence and You. You can find it a I and dot net and just look for artificial intelligence and you on uh, podcast platforms. And I would love to get questions and uh, ideas and communication on that yeah,
0: absolutely. And I encourage everybody, again, if you can get Peter's book, Crisis of Control, I really liked it. I re- like it as a leader because it gave me something different to think about. I don't read a lot of fiction books, but just like change my brain a little bit. to be like, huh, even if it's, I like scenario planning and the past couple of podcasts we've had are on scenario planning. And it's like, hey, you know, in the realm of future possibility, in the extremes, reality exists. And I think that there's a lot of potential for for what could happen and really getting your team prepared for that, I think is critical. So uh, Peter, anything else that you want to, oh, and we put the podcast in the blog there. So amazing. Anything else you want to share before we wrap up
1: today? I would like to say that it's about, it, it comes down to people. Robots will do all kinds of things for us, but there is a reason why we're going to send people to Mars. And so we don't want to let the robots have all the fun. So, focus on what it is that you want to do and less about whether AI can do it better because you're going to be cohabiting the planet with beings of increasing intelligence and and it will speak to you about your attitude towards, for instance, competition. So like the uh, uh, the saying on the temple, uh, know yourself. Yeah.
0: Stick to the fundamentals and then look for opportunities, but don't get blinded by the opportunities and lose sight of your fundamentals. So, excellent, Peter, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure personally and professionally, and I just really appreciate having you today. Thank you, Anthony. Ladies and gentlemen, folks, uh, my guest today has been Peter Scott, who is the futurist. His book, Crisis of Control, How Artificial Superintelligence May Destroy or Save the Human Race. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Uh, Be sure to follow Peter's work and just like learn more about the future because the future is coming, whether or not we just don't know how we're going to adapt to it. So if you like today's episode, be sure to like, subscribe, follow us on YouTube. We also have a strategy community for leaders like you that you can join at strategy and leadership at MightyNetworks.co. So thank you again, Peter. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the strategy and leadership podcast. Thanks so much for joining us and until next time, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that will help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it. It'll help your team think more strategically and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's going to give you a plan that you can execute successfully. If you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful. And we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. course is only $4.95, and you can get instant access to all of the videos. Plus, you can use the code PODCAST for $100 off. course comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know, and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course. Use the code podcast for $100 off, and I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.